By way of quick introduction, I see that we're just a little bit behind, uh, so bear with us and blame everything on me, please, okay? So, <clears throat> Rick Phillips, that is Dr. Reverend Rick Phillips, what I would like you to do concerning his biography is I'd like you to read our POPC Missions Festival brochure. Not now, but one of the reasons I want you to read it is because there's other people in there and it's awesome to be able to see how God has worked in and through folks and how he's developed them. So what I am going to present as I introduce him is just some thoughts about some things that are not in this. Uh, for instance, Rick Phillips came from a military family. Uh, he himself served as a major in a tank unit in the United States Army, being a Navy person. I'm not holding them against him. Um, he instead, we used to call him the tank commander for some for the ways that he dealt with some things so wonderfully when he needed to. Uh, Rick came to faith under the ministry and tutelage. You might hear us often uh, referencing James Montgomery Boyce when we preach. Well, James came, I mean, uh, Rick came to uh, faith under the ministry and tutelage of James Montgomery Boyce at the historic uh, Tent Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He has authored 30, 45 books uh, to date and is an integral member of the Gospel Reformation Network, an organization founded to, to foster, promote, and, and call us to hold fast uh, to the distinctives of our Reformed faith and uh, our faith and tradition. Um, so again, please take the time to read the rest of what's in this brochure concerning him. Uh, but folks, I'm going to take a personal point of privilege at this time to thank God for his faithfulness in my life and the debt of gratitude I owe to our speaker. For you see, it was uh, because of him that I took my children out of a Pentecostal uh, academic school and placed them in a school with rigorous uh, academic uh, standards that allowed them to be uh, the contributing members that are doing so well in society today. It is in 2003, as part of a, a degree completion program uh, in family psychology that I needed to complete an internship and he placed me with someone in the church who developed the counseling skills and the other things that I uh, do in that particular area and was able to graduate with that family psychology degree. In 2004, I was ordained as a ruling elder while he was a senior pastor and moderator of the session of our church, First Presbyterian Church in Margate, um, Florida. In 2007, I delivered as the interim chair of the school, our K through 12 school, the commencement speech and his comments uh, to me afterwards, because I had asked him, I don't know if I should just be speaking or preaching. And then afterwards he said, you were preaching. And so later on in that very same year, I applied to Knox Theological Seminary and graduated and so on and so forth. So one of the greatest things above all that is I'm networked with six pastors around my age and younger that refer to him as our father or grandfather in the ministry. These guys are all up and down the East Coast, and every last one of them are holding fast to the traditions of the faith that we have been inherited from or through the great, the grand tradition. So he is uh, impactful in so many ways across the denomination in all the lives of the gentlemen that I spoke to that came through our church. He has five children, and all of them are doing extremely well and of following the Lord and their faith. But you know what? None of that would have been possible if it wasn't for a quiet, unassuming woman who embodies a Proverbs 31 woman, and that is his wife, 
Sharon Phillips. If you ever meet her, you've met a Proverbs 31 woman. So with that introduction, Rick, would you please come forward? Thank you, Dean. It's a joy to be here. Uh, I have long known of this church and have not come here before, but I have known and admired the faithful and fruitful ministry of Carl, Carl Halverkamp and been getting to know Caleb over the years and I uh, think very highly of him. I noticed you, you tend to have a rather tall pastoral staff and, and then you bring Dean here. I, I don't understand this, but uh, thank you, Dean. I love you. And praise the Lord. I was, I was excited when you all were bringing Dean here, and I thought you were showing good wisdom. I want to give you greetings from your brothers and sisters in South Carolina, uh, particularly Second Presbyterian Church, which is populating the entire state of Mississippi with teaching elders. We sent you Ligon Duncan a number of years ago, uh, Seth Starkey at Starkville, uh, Jim, uh, 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 Jim McCarthy and Zeke Dean are at First Pres Hattiesburg, and we had for a while Gabriel Fleur at First Press Jackson. So those are all products of Second Press. So I get over here now and again and feel a great kinship with the saints and the PCA in this place. And I particularly am delighted to speak on the theme of missions. Let me uh, ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. I'm actually going to read a little bit more than I said because I'm going to talk about it. So I'm going to read uh, to the, almost to the end of the chapter. Listen now to God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word. I'm going to begin at verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where they had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he possessed authority." 
And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! Ah, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they came, come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this occasion to reflect on the missionary calling of Christ and of the church. Would you bless those who hear and him who speaks that Christ would be exalted through his word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of my address today is Jesus the Missionary, and we're not used to hearing Jesus being called that or talked about that way. He is the Christ, he's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But as you set aside time for your missions festival and reflect biblically on Christian missions, I think the right place to begin is to see Jesus as the missionary that he is. I think New Testament scholar I. Howard Marshall was right when he said, the character of the career of Jesus is best summed up under the category of mission. Now, in its vernacular meaning, anyone with a clear purpose for their life is a person on a mission. And certainly that was true of Jesus. And in fact, he frequently described his coming into the world as a mission from the Father. I, he has sent me, is Jesus' own description of his calling. And God the Father sent God the Son into the world on a great saving mission. Now, my contention is then, that Christian missions, and here's my whole paradigm for this, Christian missions can have no other source and no other model, no other pattern than that which we see in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Jesus came on a mission from the Father, therefore we are doing missions. He is the source of that mission and his ministry is the pattern. And if we can observe Jesus in action as a missionary, if we can hear the Christian gospel from his missionary lips, well, we can understand our own calling to missions and we can enter into it from the Lord. Now, with that in mind, I want to make three points from the passage I read today. And they are these, what is the purpose of missions? What is the power of missions? And who are the people of missions? What is the purpose, what is the power, and who are the people of missions? Well, the gospel writers' record of Jesus' ministry all start with his appearance at the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And after that, the, the, Jesus was, the Spirit of God came upon him, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he overcame the devil's temptations. And then he returned to Nazareth, the town in Galilee where he had grown up. And there he set forth from the scriptures his missionary calling. Well, I think there are few instances in the Gospels as dramatic as the picture of Jesus coming into the Nazareth synagogue. Luke says in verses 4 to 15, 14 to 15, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, 
and a report about him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Well, there would have been a bit of a stir then, after that had been going on, when Jesus came back to his hometown and entered into the synagogue. What an expectation there would have been, and that accounts for what happens. Now, we know what the pattern was in the ancient synagogues, and it would begin with a, uh, a lengthy prayer, after which there would be a reading from the Torah, the five books of Moses, first in Hebrew, then in Aramaic, and then there would be a reading from the prophets. And if there was an eminent person there, you see this in the ministry of the Apostle Paul as well, but if there's an eminent person then, he would be asked to speak from the scriptures. That, that's the context. Well, what a scene it was when the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to the servant of the Lord, prophesied of in that scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He is the servant of God. He is the Emmanuel, Isaiah foretold, but known only to that audience as a local son about whom these amazing things were being said. And look at verses 17 to 19. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him he unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now thank you Caleb for reading Isaiah 61 because that's a citation mainly from Isaiah 61. It's actually one line from Isaiah 58. He would open up a large scroll, a large amount of Isaiah would be before him. And uh, they're particularly striking because again, the one speaking from this, uh, from this scroll is the one who was spoken of in it. Well the Nazareth churchgoers were probably expecting something unusual and exciting uh, particularly all the things they'd heard about the local carpenter's son, Jesus. Maybe he really was a prophet. Maybe he'd make a new prophecy among them. Wouldn't that be neat? Well, Jesus did far more than that, and his words proved to be shocking even to them. As was expected, he read the scripture, and then he gave the exposition. Now, it's actually probably more than this. But I do say some short sermons are effective, and this is like the most effective, this is not an endorsement for short sermons, but this is probably the most effective short sermon of all time. Because here's Jesus' exposition of that reading from the prophet Isaiah. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, he sat down, the eyes of everyone were fixed on him, and he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, Jesus was applying these words to himself and he was unambiguously declaring himself to be the long-awaited Messiah. And that his ministry was this ministry described there that the people had been so looking forward to. Now, of course, as, we, as I read further, it didn't take long for his ministry to become an offense to them. First of all, the local carpenter's boy, the Messiah, they couldn't believe that. And Jesus responded to their skepticism by pointing out how in past times when Israel did not believe the Lord, the gospel was sent to Zarephath, to the pagans, to, to uh, Naaman the Syrian, and they really hated that, and they wanted to kill them, but him, but they could not. Well, for our concerns today, I want to go back to these vital statements in verses 18 and 19. Because from the scriptures then, Jesus describes his missionary mission, as it were. 
his missionary calling. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, first of all, this declares that he is the anointed one. The, by the way, that's, that's what the Messiah means. You do know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his office. And Christos in the Greek translates Meshuach, Messiah in the Old Testament. And the verb Mashach means to anoint. And the anointed offices were prophet, priest, and king. And of course, Jesus had been anointed by the Spirit of the Lord when he was baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit descended upon him with a dove. And so he is the, the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior who's come on his mission. But notice the true priorities he gives that form for us our knowledge of the purpose of missions. And first, Jesus declares, what's his purpose as a missionary? It is to be a prophetic witness to the gospel of God's salvation through the preaching of his word. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to, here it is again, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Notice that these verbs describe the proclamation of God's word, the preaching of God's word. Jesus proclaims good news to those who are poor in spirit, who are broken in heart, those who mourn over sin, those who long to see spiritual light. He proclaims the good news. Now, there were many prophets who came before Jesus. Isaiah is a great example, so is John the Baptist. But what sets Jesus apart from them is he not only has the purpose of proclaiming the good news, but then he actually brings the, thing, the salvation that is prophesied. He accomplishes salvation. Verse 18, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, an ordinary prophet could make the promises of deliverance, but he could not bring them to pass. I'm preaching Jeremiah in the morning services, and oh, Jeremiah would love to have actually accomplished what he, saw, what he preached, but he was not the Messiah. He, he could preach it, he couldn't accomplish it. Jesus can preach it, and he can bring it. He preaches the gospel, he accomplishes its deliverance with power. The final words of Jesus' quotation summarize his whole mission. They recall the Jubilee year that was established under the Mosaic economy. He is anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that was when the slaves were set free, when the property was restored to the original owners. It, 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 it fulfills the promise of Isaiah 49. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of my salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and make you a covenant for the people to restore the land and reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out to those in darkness, be free. There's Jesus' accomplishment of salvation. Now this is enormously significant because this passage defines Jesus' own sense of the purpose of missions, which therefore must form our sense of the purpose of mission. He came to proclaim the good news of salvation so that those who hear and received it in faith would be saved. He proclaimed the good news. He actually brought it salvation. 
and the result would be the kingdom of God on earth. Well, as we consider your church's calling to missions this weekend, what a, a vital starting point this is. Uh, as we consider, what is our motive in a missions program of the church? We, we need to have this purpose in mind. You, you know, the, the purpose of missions is not to have a, a youth activity that will expand the horizons of our young people. By the way, I think it does that. My, uh, my younger son has just uh, did his applications for PhD programs. He's a nuclear chemist. And, and there were lengthy essays, and I was really blessed. In one of the essays, he talked about the impact of going on missions trips with our church, and they had on him. We have a big partnership with Peru. Do you all support Alonzo? The great Alonzo, the John Calvin of South America. And he's, he's, he is wheelbarrowed and shuffled alongside Alonzo Ramirez and his dad. And he talked about the impact that was, and I think it's true, but that's not the purpose of missions. The purpose of missions is not to expand the horizons of our young people, although it wonderfully does that. My wife and I have a policy that each of us takes each child at least once. She goes with the girls, I go with the boys. Sometimes we all go together. Uh, and we go, it's had a big impact on them. That's not the purpose of missions. The purpose of missions is not to, to stimulate overall giving to the church, although God does bless. Hey, I, I hope that you are uh, being zealous as a congregation to do more and give more. Our church's missions budget is exploding. And both in terms of numbers and percentage of budget and the whole congregation is exciting. One thing we're doing as a church, and it sounded to me like you're doing some of it, is that we give our surplus every year to missions. And boy, that motivates uh, giving because they love the surplus. They want a surplus because we're going to put a roof on a church somewhere. But that's not the purpose of missions either. The purpose of missions is that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be preached from the word of God so that sinners would be saved. My friends, that is Jesus' purpose in missions. The purpose of missions is the proclamation of the word of God and the good news that it contains so that the, 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 the salvation of that word actually is experienced in the life of those who are saved. Let me say this, thus defined, missions is not and cannot be the work of one committee among many in the church. Missions is not one program under the umbrella of a well-rounded church. No, missions is the umbrella. It is the umbrella under which everything we do. I like to say to my congregation, this is a missionary outpost of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pastor a church founded in 1892. Our beautiful sanctuary was built in 1909. We've had South Carolina. Uh, you should visit Greenville, but you'll stay if you do, and Carl won't like that, and Caleb won't like that, but we'd like it. Uh, and uh, uh, and, and we, we're, I, I often say to our folks, this is not here to be an institutional legacy organization. Now, we are that. I, I love the plaques on the wall dating back from the 1920s. And we just put a plaque to Paul Settle up on the wall, our beloved, one of our beloved, and I love when the, the, the records are kept and the dates are celebrated. And I like that we are a, an institutional legacy organization, but what we really are is a missionary outpost of the Lord Jesus Christ so that through the preaching of his gospel, both near and far, the resourcing of it, the educating of men to do it, the building of places to do it, that the funding of those who will evangelize, that the word of Christ would be proclaimed, and that sinners would be saved, that is Christian missions, at least according to the Christ and his mission. It's a very important thing to be said today when under the umbrella of missions, 
In some places, almost everything else is being done except the preaching of God's word. Well, Jesus left Nazareth, apparently never to set foot there again. They rejected him, and so it's, isn't it sad? The people of Nazareth would never receive the miracles of Jesus Christ because they would not combine the hearing with faith. But we go on and we learn about the power of missions. First is the purpose of mission, that the gospel would be proclaimed, that sinners would be saved, but that's going to require power. And so what is the power? Well, we see as Jesus goes on, and I read a little further because I wanted to read the miracles because it goes with the, the preaching of the word. We have miracles of healing. There's the casting out of demons. There's a, uh, first he casts out a demon, then he heals someone, and then at the end of the chapter, a large group of people comes, and he does both. Interestingly, that's his power over the kingdom of darkness and his power over a fallen creation. Now, I want to say to you, as soon as you start really getting involved in missions and you take up a biblical sense of purpose, actual salvation and the, and the through the preaching of the word of God and, and the planting of churches where that work will be carried on, you, you soon realize, y'all, we need power. We're, we're gonna, for, us, for this to matter, you think of some of the great missionary heroes and the things they did for the Lord, uh, they needed power from on high or else they were going to fail. Well, Jesus tells us of the power he brings as he casts out demons and he heals the sick. Now, here's the question I want to briefly ask. Uh, where does that power come from? Where is the power that we need and that Jesus shows in, in it's ours in missions? Well, some people argue that we, we need to produce miracles. Jesus did miracles. And if we can do miracles, we can be successful. Now, there's a problem with that. And that problem is that he is the Christ and you are not. And, and, and we, we, are, we, do not, we don't have the ability, by the way, now we do have prayer. And, and boy, there's, let's not forget the role. I, I love the, the prayer guides you pass. I, I need to get a copy just so I can show you. how we, did, we just came out with a beautiful one. I want to see, take it back to our missions chair and see what you are doing here. We, we have actually a, uh, a monthly missions prayer meeting prior to the evening service where we pray for the missionaries. We're, we're, we're laboring in prayer because it is certainly true that power in missions comes from the prayers of God's people. That's an important answer. But I want to point out that in this passage, Luke very carefully notes what, how it is that Christ's power works in his missionary setting, and that is through his word. Because in every case, that, in that passage I read, where Jesus casts out demons, and even when he heals the sick, we are told that he did so through his word. Uh, he rebuked the evil spirits. It was by the authority of his word that the, that, the, that the powers of darkness were cast out. But it's also, you look at the end of the chapter, he, when he goes to Simon Peter's house and his mother-in-law, by the way, interesting little factoid, him having a mother-in-law, it suggests a wife, but I'll leave that there. But, um, uh, and he rebuked the fever. Now, why are we told that he rebuked the fever? Well, Luke's making the point that the power that's accompanying Jesus' ministry is taking place by his authority at work through his word. Uh, he, 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 he brought forth his power by his word. Now, all through this passage, Jesus' teaching is given prominence. 
The opening verses say he was a teacher. He taught in their synagogues, verse 15, being glorified by all. And then you have the, the great statement in verses 18 to 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then three of the four verbs involve proclamation, involve preaching the word. He, he came to, to preach salvation and through the word to achieve its power. Moreover, he refused to perform miracles in, in Nazareth unless his teaching was received, verse 23. Uh, Jesus now, later on, Jesus would save by a wide variety of means, but there's, there's clearly a point being made right now that what he came to do was to proclaim the word of God in order that people would be saved and the power in order for that salvation to come would come through the word of God that he was preaching. Now this is so important for us because if Jesus came to preach the good news and if it was through the preaching of the good news, that is where we will overcome strongholds of unbelief and of darkness and of the misery of sin through the preaching of the word of God. Oh, I hope you read missionary biography. I love missionary biography. And uh, I hope you, Caleb, in your series, I hope you're doing some 18th, 19th century missionary biographies. And you will find that these humble Christian people, they'd show up in some distant land, I'm gonna talk about a couple of examples, and they would proclaim the word of God, and then there would be converts, but then they would do things like catechize them, and they would, they would, they would did systematic Bible teaching. And, and the conversion having playing a place, but then the power came to reorder whole societies. By the way, what's happening in our society today? It's what happens when you reject the word of God. We're several generations downstream of a, of, a, of a culture that deliberately turned its back on the Word of God, deliberately removed the Word of God from its public places. It's such an irony now that we swear on Bibles for our elected officials, but then if they were to actually open the Bible and be informed by it, they would be cast out of that office. There's a certain irony in that. And we're seeing the exact opposite where you have the dissolution of a society by the removal of the word of God, but it works in a positive way. You know, that's, what, that's what America needs. America needs evangelism and Bible teaching and sound churches and Christian homes where the word of God is taught because there's power. Oh, I, I like your church. Our church is bursting with young families and little children everywhere, and, and they're learning to do family worship and they're doing Bible memorization, and we got our elementary school, we got a catechism ministry, and you see the power of God at work bringing light and, and, and order and wholesomeness and blessing. My friends, missions receives its power backed by prayer from the Holy Spirit on high through the word of God. It's the word of God that gives power. It wasn't Jesus' ministry, he even rebuked the fever, to show us his word. He came to proclaim and by that proclamation. Now, again, for missions, this means that it is Christian missions to the extent that the word of God is at the center of it. That what we're, everything we're doing is to deliver the word of God and then the power we need will come by God's word. There's so many useful things to do. I, I, I spent a fair amount of time in Africa plan to go back this summer to Nigeria. And oh, what a blessing it is, these people who are building wells with the whole water thing in Africa, such a big deal. What an act of mercy it is, but it's not missions until the word of God is brought. And, and I, I bless them for doing it. They're doing good works in Jesus' names. They're saving lives. You will not save souls without the word of God.
And so what J.I. Packer said about local evangelism is equally true for missions. He said this, the test for any proposed strategy or technique or style of evangelistic action must be this. Will it in fact serve to deliver the word of God? It is missions and it has power to save if and as it is delivering the word of God. Is it calculated to be a means of explaining the gospel fully and truly and applying it deeply and exactly, Packer says. To the extent that it is so calculated, to the extent which it, 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 it brings the message to bear, it is godly, it will have power to save, it is missions. My friends, let us not be deceived about our need for God's power. We have a desperate need for God's power. Our problems in America and around the world cannot be solved by technique, not by policy, only by supernatural power through the Holy Spirit from an exalted Lord Jesus Christ. That power, backed by prayer, comes through the word of God. We must rely on the power of God's word and missions Jesus did. Well, let me conclude with the third P I had this morning. We have the purpose of missions to proclaim. We have the power of missions through the word. But who are the people of missions? And I actually didn't, I stopped reading, but I'm going to cheat and go over to chapter 5 because it's all one exposition. And I'm going to read now the people of missions in chapter 5, 2 to 11. Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when he brought their boats to land, they had left everything and followed him. Well, who are the people of missions? It's you. It's sinners who have been saved by, by the grace of God through his word and have experienced in their own lives the power of that grace. It, it's, it's those to whom the word of Christ has come, revealing him to be the Messiah. And in their own experience, they know the truth of it. They know the saving power of it. And it's out of that experience of Jesus' ministry to us through his word that he gets missionaries today. What a blessing it is in a long ministry in a faithful church where the word of God has been preached and taught and where there's prayer to see people saved. And then many, many will go off to full-time foreign missions. Others will stay and be missionary mommies missionary days. Our first mission field is always at the kitchen table, my friends, and, and, and a church that's evangelistically zealous. We are the people of missions, and Jesus taught them, and then he displayed his power in their lives, and they were missionaries. You know, some of us will be great missionary heroes like John G. Payton, one of my heroes. If you haven't read the story of John G. Payton, uh, Jim Cromartie's book got a little book called The King of the Cannibals. And he went to the New Hebrides Islands in the 19th century to take to a groundbreaking ministry of the uh, missions of the gospel to the cannibals. In fact, it, it, you know, it's always true. When some young couple tells their family and their friends, we've decided to, to spend our lives on the missions field, almost always their Christian family and friends will try to talk them out of it. 
That happens all the time. And one time someone said to them, you, if you go there, you will be eaten by cannibals. And you know what? They almost were. Uh, and what was, they, had a, they had a really interesting strategy, a really clever strategy. Their plan was to go to the New Hebrides, to live among the people, for God to pray, for God to protect them from the very great danger of those people, to get to know them, to learn their language, so that what? So that they could proclaim the good news, the bad news of sin, the good news of Jesus as Savior through his blood and through the power of his Holy Spirit, so that the gospel would spread, and that's exactly what happened. One biographer says this of John Payton, he trusted only the Lord who had placed him there and to whom all power in heaven on earth had been given. And he prayed to Christ either to protect me or to take me home to glory. And soon Payton was able to speak to them of sin and salvation. And I love this final thing. And that he did unceasingly. That's the great missionary heritage of the evangelical movement. Heroic Christians going to distant places and they, they get there, they build a hut, they, they pray for God to not let the people kill them, they learn their language and having learned the language and gotten to know them, they preach of sin and salvation and this they do unceasingly. And the islands of Tana and Anawa were almost completely converted to faith in the missionary savior whom Jesus uh, had sent, who had sent them. Uh, my friends, that's what we want in missions. We want to send people out. We want to support. We want to be part of that great enterprise as that kind of thing is going on today. We should pray that God will raise up such missionaries. Now, there are others of Christ's missionary servants who will be on the lesser known scale of things. I think of Edward Kimball. He was a soft-spoken, timid believer in the late 19th century in Chicago, and, and the Lord convicted him, maybe the way the Lord's convicted you, that you need to be sharing the gospel. And, I have a deal with my congregation that I don't think I'm being excessive in my, my hope and expectation. I say to my congregation, isn't it fair to ask every one of you to have at least one person who's on your hearts that you, and you're praying for God to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with them? That's fair. I didn't ask for 14. Feel free to exceed the standard. That's what I say to my congregation. Isn't it fair to ask each of you, yes, you, to have one, feel free to have more, but at least one person, and you're praying to God, Lord, give me the ability, give me the opportunity to speak to this person about Christ, because you will find that he does. And you will find that he saves people when we start becoming evangelistic. Well, Edward Kimball was one of these people, and he was burdened, he wasn't sharing the gospel. And he'd actually met a crude, illiterate shoe salesman. And that's the person the Lord laid on his heart. And he, so he resolved he was going to go into the shoe store and he was going to witness the gospel to the shoe salesman. And you know how it is. It's like a young man asking a girl out on a date. He, you dial the number, you hang up, you dial the number. He walked by the store and he couldn't. And finally, he said, Look, I'm just going to go in. He goes in the store. He goes to the stock room. The young man's back in the shoe stock room. And his, as he later put it, I never could remember what I said. Something about Christ and his love. It was a very weak appeal. That's Edward Kimball. What was the name of the young shoe salesman? His name was Dwight L. Moody. And by the power that attends the word of God, which is the, the preaching of which is the purpose of missions, the people of missions are brought forth. 
And that, that shoe salesman, Dwight L. Moody, would be used of the Lord to reach millions of people for Jesus Christ. Edward Kimball's impact on the kingdom was just as great as John G. Payton's. I suppose most of us will fit somewhere in between John Payton and Edward Kimball. But Jesus says to each of us what he said to them, do not be afraid, I will make you fishers of men. Often it will seem more like we're the bait and Jesus is the one fishing, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The purpose is that the gospel will be proclaimed. The power will come through the word and then we will be the people of missions. And God will use us and many will be saved. Father in heaven, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus' example as a missionary and I pray that you would bless this missions festival. Father, I pray that you would raise up full-time missionaries out of this congregation. But Lord, I don't know if that's your will or not. I do know it's your will that every one of us here would, would be thinking of others and praying of others to witness the gospel to. And through this church, would the purpose of missions be achieved with power through these, your people of missions. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.